0: Hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God had said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulon and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the word of the Lord. Hey everybody, good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. It is a blessing to be with you this morning. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Matthew, start at the very beginning. Uh, And we're now into the section that we're calling His Story, or History. Uh, And the idea is we're talking about the more that you were made for. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is the idea of you were made for greatness. Uh, It makes me a little nervous saying that, because uh, it sounds a little like New Agey slash Prosperity Gospel Joel Osteen, and I already look like Joel Osteen. And so it gets a little like, I don't know uh, if I should be saying this, but the idea is true. Right, we were made for greatness, and as a matter of fact, Jesus, uh, when his disciples ask him, like, what does it take to be the greatest in the kingdom, he doesn't like rebuke them and say, you guys have got it wrong. He's British, apparently. Um, He uh, looks at him and he says, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to be the least. And so, greatness is something that we were designed for. The problem is, is how we define greatness. So I did some research and I saw there were three things that kind of popped up again and again and again. As, as we define greatness in our culture, one of those was the idea of um, success with your skill. One of those was this idea of success as an achiever. And one of those was an idea of success as power. The kicker with that is no matter how much those people tend to succeed, it leaves something lacking. So for example, Andre Agassi, great tennis player, success with skill, won tons of championships. But he won all those championships and played all that tennis because he was trying to earn his dad's love, never felt like he actually earned it, and was never satisfied with as much greatness as he achieved. Uh, Then you have greatness as this idea of achieving something in life. So you look at Steve Jobs, built the most um, valued company in all the world. On his deathbed says, I wish I'd spent my time differently. I wish I'd spent it with my kids not as satisfying then you look at uh, just look at our presidents right I think this is what's kind of funny is like these guys have power they have influence they they are the leaders of the free world and then you see the pictures of them before uh, their presidency starts and then you see them after and like the before they look normal and fine and healthy and then afterwards they look like Voldemort Uh, and it's like oh my gosh and then you, like, you even hear them like, talk about, they're like, I'm so glad to be done with those four or eight or however long. They're just like, I'm done. And so there's this idea of greatness means you have meaning, right? It means you have meaning in your life, but it's also got to be satisfying. And so with all these guys talking about greatness through achievement and skill and all this other stuff, it's just, it's not that satisfying. So then the question is, well, how do we have greatness that has meaning that's also satisfying? And I think the real easy answer is well, we look at Jesus. Because if you look at Jesus, you see, he had meaning. Ruler of the whole universe. Not much more meaning you can get than that. Son of God, right? Tons of meaning. His life mattered. He was important. But it was satisfying, too, right? Because Jesus lived perfectly. He lived life the way it was meant to be lived, he lived it to the fullest. So you have Jesus who has all meaning and all satisfaction, and you put that together, and you're like, okay well then let's look at how he did it. I wanna follow that guy because if that guy lived a life of greatness, of meaning and satisfaction, well then let's see what he did. And I'm glad we're here this morning because we can look at the Bible and we can see what he did. And I'm gonna hopefully show you three things where Jesus is gonna help us find greatness. And he says, you're gonna find greatness in marginal places, you're gonna find greatness in marginal people, and you're gonna find greatness in marginal messages. So that's greatness in marginal places, greatness in marginal people, greatness in marginal messages. So let's start at the beginning, right? So it says, When Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth and then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. Okay, so this just seems like a random bunch of geography, but it's really important. So check this out. First off, who is John? John the Baptist, right, his cousin. John the Baptist, he's been preaching since Matthew chapter 3, gets arrested. You don't find out until Matthew chapter 14. It's because John said something to the governor. His name was Herod, and he said, Herod, you shouldn't be trying to sleep with your brother's wife. Herod did not like that, so he had him arrested. Um, the, the thing that with that is, so my transla- translation says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Some of yours says he withdrew and went to Galilee. The idea is, it sounds like he hears that John's been arrested and he tries to go hide. But guess where Herod was governor? Galilee, right? So this is not Jesus like going and hiding. He's heading into the teeth, right? That's a little nerve wracking, right? So first, this is just where that means something weird's going on here. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is not... You came out of the temptation in the desert, and we think, you should, why are you going to Galilee? So there, that's a little weird, right? But then the other thing is, you gotta think about it like this. So he comes out of his temptation, right? So he's in kind of the middle of the state of Israel, and you would think Jesus is gonna start a religious movement, right? He's gonna go and get some disciples and start teaching the people, and you would think, okay, well, where's the smart place to go? Like, if this was the West Wing, and he had some advisors, they'd be like, all right, hey, man, if we're going to get some people together and we're going to do this thing, you need to go south, you're going to head to Jerusalem, you're going to get your group together, this is going to be great. And Jesus comes out of the desert and he goes north, right? And he goes to Galilee, which is just an out-of-the-way place. Uh, it's kind of like along the main road, but it is not important. And as a matter of fact, in terms of religiously speaking, uh, There's this thing in later in the Bible where they make fun of Peter's accent. They're like, hey, you're from Galilee. You've got an accent. He's like, no, I don't. And what's funny is the religious people in the South thought the people in the North from Galilee who studied religious things, they thought they were stupid because they had really weird accents. So if Jesus is going to start a movement, if he's going there to like be a somebody, this is the absolutely wrong place to go This would be like, if you were like, I want to start a tech company, I would say, go to San Francisco. And you're like, I'm going to go to North Dakota. It makes no sense. And so you have to ask yourself, why? Jesus, why would you go to this out of the way place? Why are you going to Galilee, into this region that just, this is not where you should go. And especially, especially if your cousin just got arrested for telling everyone you're the chosen one who's going to be the king of the known world. And here's what I think Jesus is telling us. I think he's trying to show us that greatness is not found by being famous and having a platform. Right? Does Jesus get famous? Yes. Does he eventually have a platform? Yes. But that's not what he's pursuing. As a matter of fact, he's heading to a place where he, it's going to be hard for him to get known. It's going to be hard for him to get a following because this is just not the place to do it. It's a marginal, out-of-the-way, understated place called Galilee. And I think, though, like, we see Jesus do this, and we're like, okay, if I, be to, if I want greatness, I need to be like Jesus, go to the marginal places, but we don't, we don't really like that because we don't really believe it's true. We would rather go to places where we can be known and loved and appreciated, and that's not bad stuff to want, but we go to places that are kind of influential, hoping that's what we get, right? And, so, and they don't have to be like world stages, they just have to be the family reunion, right? We want to be known there, or the PTO, or here at church, right? We just want to go to these little places where we're known just a little bit. We have a little bit of this fame because these are in the important places. And I remember the first time I got invited to an important place, or actually I kind of invited myself, um, was I thought it was going to be the pulpit. I thought, like as a 14-year-old, I was like the jam. And so we had Youth Sunday, and they're like, who wants to preach? And I was like, coming out of my seat, like, yeah, pick me, pick me, pick me. And because nobody else like would do it, they let the 14-year-old do it. And I thought, like, this, this is going to be it. This is where I'm going to arrive. After this sermon, everybody's going to be like, well, Pastor David's okay, but really, Stephen, the 14-year-old, we need to hear him preach more often. Like, this was, I was just craving it. And so I get up there. I remember my first joke. My first joke was, Hey guys, you know, first time preaching, a little nervous. So I might say um or uh a lot. You can count them. There'll be a prize at the end. Oh, ha, 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 he's so funny and humble. Ha, 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 right? Thought it was great. Preach my sermon. I'm bringing it. I'm like throwing heat. I'm just telling people about Jesus and you don't follow him. And "Ah, ah, yeah, right? Like, because I'm young and I'm on fire. And it's like, okay, so I'm ready. It's the Old Baptist Church. So you have the, the thing where they invite everybody down at the end, right? So I get down front at the end and I'm like, here they come. We're the people. Nobody comes. I'm like, oh, that's all right, though, because they're a little nervous. So a little nervous. I can understand. So we'll have them come up afterwards. And sure enough, after the service, these two little kids come around the corner, and they're, like, sprinting towards me. And I'm like, this is it. They're going to want to get baptized. Here we go. I'm the man. And so they come down there. They're sitting in front. I see their parents smiling. And they're like, hey, 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 Stephen. So you said, um, 16 times. <laughs> and you said, uh, 47 times. Where's our prize? And I was like, come on. And it was this place where I had gone to find so much meaning, right? I was like, this is going to be it. I'm going to be a somebody because of this. And I end up finding despair because it was just such a letdown. And I think, again, this is what Jesus is trying to show us. He's like, you can go to those places. You can try to go to those places where you'll be a somebody when you show up there. But I'm not going to do that. That's not how Jesus lived his life. He went to the places that were overlooked, the places where the nobodies are from. And you've got to ask yourself, well, why did he do that? And I think he's doing that. He's trying to say, this is the good life. And it's the good life because if you think about it like this, where is God always working? He's always working in small, out-of-the-way, nowhere places. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, small, out-of-the-way, nowhere place. Same place, King David's born there, Right? Gideon, all these guys, they're all from small, nowhere places because that's where God seems to work. And what Jesus is showing us, right, is if you want the good life, you need to live life with God. Like, that's how you get it. Meaning and satisfaction is living life with God. And if you want to live life with God, you need to go to where he's working. Where is God working? Marginal, out of the way, nowhere places. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think. Where is the place that you see that you notice that in your life, it's, nobody else really pays attention to it? Like where is that place that is just kind of out of the way, it's not important? Where is that place? Think of it right now. Just go ahead and like take three seconds. Think of that place. Okay. I'm not saying God is doing something crazy there, but I'm saying he's probably doing something and he wants you involved. And so, maybe this week, the idea is just to go spend some time at that place. Could be the school, maybe it's the library and the reading program, maybe it's your own house, maybe it's your family, I don't know. But that place that just came to mind, that's like, this is an overlooked, out-of-the-way place, I bet you dollars to donuts that God's doing something there. And that's what he's trying to show us. So when you look at this passage, the reason Jesus goes to an out-of-the-way place is because he's going to where God is at work. And so then the next question then is, okay, so what else do we see in this passage? What else do we see Jesus trying to show us by the way he lives his life? And I think the next thing he shows us is that greatness is found in marginal people. We're gonna read this uh, verses 14, 15, and 16 here. So it says, This fulfilled what God had said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulon and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. So, again, some more seemingly like throwaway stuff, like references to things that, like Zebulon, Naphtali, who were these guys? Um, and then, even this idea of saying, like, this fulfilled what God said through the prophet. It's almost like, it's like, okay, here's the prophecy. We know Jesus is the Messiah because he came from the land of Zebulon and Naphtali. That's the whole reason, just it's prophecy. And yet, I, I think there's, there's more going on here than just Jesus fulfilling a prophecy. It's pointing out where he came from because the people who are there. So pay attention to this. The people who are there, who are Jews, right, are descendants of Zebulon and Naphtali. Okay. Who are those guys? I didn't know who they were, so I had to do some research. Zebulon and Nephtali are two of the twelve tribes of Israel. So they're two of the sons of Jacob. Okay, so how important are they? Well, you can kind of get a sense how important a son of Jacob is, how important the tribe of Israel is when you look at Genesis, and you can see Jacob giving blessings to his sons. So you look at Genesis, how Jacob's giving blessings to his sons. He gives blessings to like Judah, he's like, you're a king forever, right? Awesome blessing. He gives blessings to like Levi. He's like, you will have the sword. And it's like, oh, I don't know about this, right? Simeon, he's like, you're strong and might, but you won't be ruled forever. And it's, so there's like some cool things that's happening. And then you look at Zebulon and it's like, you're gonna be a fisherman, which is almost an insult to an Israeli because you think about this, the sea was a place of chaos and really somewhere you didn't wanna work, Right? The reason the the chaos hovered over the waters, right, in Genesis 1 is because it's chaos. They don't like sea. They are land-faring people. They are not sea-faring people, right? So being like you're the fisherman is like if your dad was like, we have this great company, and you get to be the janitor. You know, it's like, ah. And then Naphtali, right, is, his blessing is, you're going to have kids who are as pretty as deer. Well, it's like, okay, thanks, Dad. Uh, so you got fisherman man and pretty kids man, you know, and that's, that's their blessing. Just, they're not really that important. And I think you can even see how unimportant they are and who their moms are, right? So Leah is uh, Zebulon's mom, and she's the one that Jacob didn't want to marry. And then Naphtali's mom is Jacob's loved wife, Rachel's servant. That's his mom. They are just, they're from unimportant moms. They have unimportant blessings and they're going to have descendants who are just kind of not that important. And that's where Jesus goes. He heads to a group of people just not that important, right? They're in the north. They have funny accents. They're not important. Not only that, but the reason that this place where where this area is situated, where Galilee is situated and Capernaum is situated, it's on this road where a lot of Gentiles would come into the area and be like, oh, this is cool. We'll sit here. And so the area is filled with unimportant Jewish people and also like kind of gross, irreligious Gentiles, which is what we are, right? And so we read the passage and we think, a light has come to the Gentiles, how wonderful. But if you're a first century Jewish person, you're reading this thinking, uh, why in the world would the Messiah show up to the not religious people who aren't even following him? That, that makes no sense. Like why, why would the Messiah go there? Like, he, sh- he shouldn't, uh-uh, no, 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 no. He needs to go to Jerusalem. That's where the important people are. That's where the religion is. That's where the temple is. We need the Messiah to head to Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to Galilee. And again, you gotta have to wonder, like, what is he trying to show us? What is the point of this? And again, I think what he's trying to show us is like, if, if you really wanna experience greatness, if you wanna enjoy life, if you wanna have meaning and satisfaction don't try to go hang out with the somebodies. Go hang out with the nobodies. And what's funny is, like, as much as it was like, I, yeah, I know, I shouldn't sit at the cool kids' table, I should like invite other people over. and. Uh. But we, really, I, we don't do that. And what's funny is, like, I even experienced this in my own life as a college student, where I was like, I'm going to become a somebody. I'm going to have meaning in my life because I'm going to hang out with a somebody. And so I figured out a way to do this. And it was at college. And I went to college with a guy named Steph Curry. who If you don't know him, he's a basketball star. He's kind of a big deal. And uh, I was like, I'm going to be Steph Curry's buddy. And so what I decided was we were playing this game where you had to get, shoot other people with a water gun. And uh, it started out with 300 people. If you shot somebody with a water gun, they were out of the game. And it like, lasted for weeks and weeks and weeks. You would like run and hide. And it was really fun. And it got down to eight people. And I was one of them. And Steph Curry was one of them. And I was like... I'm getting Steph, because everybody else had been scared to get him, because they're like, I don't want to get the superstar basketball player. I was like, No, 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 you don't understand. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get him, and then I'm going to apologize. I'm like, Steph, I'm so sorry, man. I love you. I just, I had, to, it's part of the game. And he's going to be like, Yeah, I know, man. No hard feelings. And I'll be like, Really? And then he's going to be like, Yeah, man. Hey, to prove it, why don't you just come over and we'll have pizza together? And I was going to be like, Oh, no, Steph. And he's going to be like, No, real, man. You should come on over. And I'll be like, Okay. And then we were going to go have pizza, and we we're going to talk about life. And he's a Christian. I'm a Christian. And we're going to like. Gel and connect, and then we're gonna like move on through the next few years, and I'll be his best man, and this is gonna be incredible. And then I'll be like his agent, and then it's just this is gonna be great. So here's how it's gonna work. So I'm in class. I see him coming, walking into the building. You can't shoot anybody in the building, so I run outside and I'm like sneaking right there by the door. And as soon as he comes up, come out the door, squirt him with a gun, he's out. Oh Steph, I'm so sorry, man. And because Steph is actually a cool guy, he was like, Ah oh, man, don't worry about it, I know. And I was like, Yeah. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to class, okay. See you, man, see you. Walk back to class. And the problem was, that wasn't the end of it. Not only did I not get to hang out with him and become his best man and his agent, he started a rumor about me. He decided to tell everyone he got knocked out of the game because he was helping his friend who was on crutches and he didn't have hands to defend himself. And so that I waited until an inopportune time and shot him while he was defenseless. Not true. <laughs> he had his hands available. He was opening the door. I shot him fair and square. But the thing is, it's like you just, this whole idea was I'm going to become a somebody because I will be able to hang out with Steph Curry. And instead of becoming a somebody, like, I fell back even more steps. Right, like I was already a not cool kid, and now all of a sudden it was like, well, now he's the kid who shot Steph. What a jerk! I can't believe you'd do that to our star basketball player. And I think this is what we do. I think we have this idea if I just hang out with the somebodies, like the, the essence, we will have. I will have meaning. I will be important. And and it just never works out. It's always less than what you expected. And for me in this particular situation, it it was worse. Like it created a worse situation for me. And I think this is, again, what Jesus is trying to show us is I'm a guy who hangs out with the nobodies because again, where does God work? Where is God at work? Who does God hang out with? And God seems to hang out with the nobodies. And it's all over the Bible. James one twenty seven. it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of the God, the father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Isaiah 117 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Psalm 68.5 says this, father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God hangs out with the nobodies, particularly widows and orphans. And if that's what God does, that's what we want to do as a church. And so one of the things I want to bring up to your attention right now is if you pull this little thing out, it's a little insert in your bulletin, it's a... Uh, and s- supporting those working in the margins. So there's a group of people called social workers. And they do... Um, they hang out in the margins. Their life is in the margins. Uh, they work with, particularly at this group, what we're talking about is a group of people call, at Child Place. Um, and they... <laughs> it's such a thankless job, guys. They drive so far, work so many hours, have so many cases. Uh, it's like, I can't imagine how hard the situations they're in, how many tears that they have to see cry and how many tears they have to wipe away. It's just brutal. And it's just thankless because nobody has ever thanked, you know, the situations just aren't good. So there's no like, oh, thanks for all the work you put in because it's just a thankless job. And so one of the things that we want to do is say, okay, well, if we want to be a church that's in the margins where God's at work, we want to be thanking these people and supporting these people, and so what we're going to do is we're going to put together little gift bags for them, uh, and actually a foster kid gave me this idea. We're going to put them in coffee mugs. and we're going to put candy and a gift card and a note and a cool pin if you want to get that, and we're going to take it over and give it to them. Now here's the cool part, right? Um, I said this in the first service, and everybody got signed up for. It. So we had a few na- we had like 20- some odd names, and everybody got signed up. Sarah, don't tell anybody. She, yeah, okay. She works there. So anyway. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have you guys come up and sign up to bring little small amounts of gift cards so we can distribute them to all the different ones. So if you will, I'm going to have a table out here. I'm just going to write your name down and email address. and I'm going to remind you, hey, bring in a couple of gift cards, like, like a couple $5 ones, a couple of $10 ones, and we're going to add them to all the cups. And then Not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, we're going to have an appreciation meal for them, uh, and we're going to take them some uh, good food, and we're going to just tell them we're thankful for them. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to come help us do that, we'd love to have you uh, just be a part of the team that's serving them. Uh, That's going to be on Tuesday. You can talk to me about that out there. But again, the reason we're doing this is because what we're saying is God seems to be a God who works in the margins among marginal people, people that for all intents and purposes, our society just says we don't care about them. And what we're saying is, no, we care about them and we care about the people caring for them. We want to support them. And so that's why we're doing this. And the, the thing about that is, is like we're stepping into that. We're, we're hoping that, again, we're trying to serve God as he, would, as he calls us to do that. Um, but then the question is, okay, so that's one thing that we do. That, that's, that's a one-time deal. We're going to do this. They're going to keep they're doing their work. But how do we become a people? How do we become a people where our lifestyles are? We live lives of hanging out with people in the margins. And so here's my question for you on that. Um, who are the people that you're hanging out with? Are those people people that you're hanging out with because you want something from them? Is there something that they have, whether it's influence, whether it's money, whether it's uh, job promotions, are you hanging out with people because they have something that you want? And if the answer is yes, I'm going to suggest that those relationships probably aren't that satisfying. Um, But if the answer is who are the people who seem overlooked, who don't seem cared for, um, who nobody seems to notice. Are you hanging out and loving on those people? And that, that can be a lot of different people. Um, that could be the the kids at the, the not cool kids table at school. That could be the kids at the skate park that everybody seems to ignore and want to just push away. Um, it could be your neighbor. It could be the mom sitting next to you. There are so many people who just are the nobodies. And, and the invitation from Jesus is step into those relationships. That's where you're going to find meaning. That's where you're going to find satisfaction. It's not when you're trying to get something because they have something that you want that'll make your life better, but because you have something called a relationship with God that you're able to, to show and to live out of. And that's what's going to be satisfying. And again, you're going to where God is at work. Like this, the place that God is at work with, the people that God is at work with, and that, when you do life with God, when you're living life with God, when you're on mission with him, is when you're gonna find satisfaction. It's when you're gonna find meaning. That's how you're going to find greatness. So, we see this. We see greatness is in marginal places. We see greatness is in marginal people. And the third thing that we see it in is that greatness is in marginal messages. So look at the last verse of this section. It says, From then on, Jesus began to preach. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So in an out-of-the-way town with kind of miserable, out-of-the-way people, Jesus shows up and starts preaching a message that is almost as old as the universe. Because think about it like this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I've heard that before. We ever heard that before? Well, if you look back to Matthew 3, 2, John, his cousin, same message. Okay, well, John is preaching about this, and he's talking about the day of the Lord. Okay, well, what's the day of the Lord? Well, it's the return of God to be with his people. Well, John, where'd you get that idea? Well, actually, I got that from uh, Malachi. Oh, okay. Well, let's go talk Malachi. Malachi, where'd you get that idea? Well, actually, I got that from Daniel. Daniel, where'd you get that idea? I got that from Isaiah. Isaiah, where'd you get that from Joel? Joel, where'd you get that from Abraham? Abraham all the way back to Adam, when Adam gets the message that there's going to be a hero who's gonna come and strike the head, of the or the, the serpent's gonna strike his heel and he will crush his head. The idea of the day of the Lord has been around literally since Adam. This is an old, outdated, marginal message. Not only is it old and outdated from when Jesus was talking about it, it's old and outdated for us, but it also in our context, it's a little bit offensive, Because anytime you, like, when I think of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, I think of the guys down at Derby who have the signs, right? And I think, like, it's not really repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's almost uh, like you're going to hell. That's what that means. It's not really good news. And so then it's like, okay, so not only do we have an old message, now we've got an offensive message If anything, this is a marginal kind of like ignorable message, like God's going to return. Sure, text me when it happens because we've known this was supposed to happen and we're still here, right? And so what Jesus does though, if you like think about this, this is his first sermon, like his first foray into his ministry and he preaches the same old thing that's always been preached. Why? What's he after? What's he doing? Well, think about it this, what really is the kingdom of God? Right, The kingdom of God is life as it was meant to be. It's when heaven comes down to earth and we get to enjoy life with God fully as it was meant to be, where there are no more tears, there's no more pain. God is going to make everything that has ever been made wrong, he's going to make it right. We will have justice, there will be grace, there will be love. It will be a literal giant party. This is the kingdom of God, right? And you have access to it now because you have access to life with God because of the Holy Spirit living in you when you believe in Jesus, right? So this is good news now. Now here's the kicker, the repent part. The repent part is weird because we always feel of that of saying like, you better change, right? Or you're gonna go there. But if you think about it like this, Pastor Jonah talked about it. Repent is not so much like give into your guilt and say how bad you are. Repent is saying you're heading in a way that's gonna kill you. You're heading in a direction of death. Turn around stop. Come back the other way. Right? He's saying quit heading towards life or quit heading towards death and head towards life. Right? But we've heard this again and again and again and it just becomes so easily ignorable. It's kind of like that thing that your dad always would tell you and you'd be like, yeah, sure, dad. And you would never listen and then it ended up being true. You ever have that happen? Like my dad always was like, be careful, son. I was like, yeah, sure, dad. Okay. And then Uh, it was during baseball season, and my dad was like, hey, look, I know you've got this bike and this cool new ramp outside. You should be really careful because I don't want you to get hurt. And I was like, whatever, Dad, sure, yeah, I'll be careful. And so the first day, we're riding on a ramp, go off, wobble, fall down, skid my knee. My dad's like, hey, look, I said be careful. You really need to be careful, man. Like, you don't want to do anything that that would keep you from playing ball. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. The next day, My buddy David comes up with the brilliant idea of taking our ramp and putting it down at the giant hill. So we have this giant hill, put it all the way at the bottom so we can get some real good speed, and then take off and see how far we can fly. You know, so my dad's thinking, like, be careful. I'm like, we can be careful going, like, 35 miles an hour with no helmets, right? Yeah, we can be careful. We can do this. So we put the ramp at the bottom of the hill, get our bikes up at the top, come flying down, I get massive air, which you know, for like a 12-year-old is like this far off the ground. But I'm like, I feel like I'm flying. And then I land, and I bounce. And the problem is, is if you bounce, that's no big deal, right? Because you just keep your handlebar straight. But I bounced, and I turned. And the problem is when you bounce and you turn your wheel, which usually goes like this, goes like this. And when that wheel going like this hits the pavement, there's a thing called gravity and friction. And they apparently start as soon as I hit, and I took off kind of like Superman, like in this mode, kind of like flailing, but like not without the flail, just like one arm out like this. And I'm like sitting there, you know, like floating over the ground thinking, dad was right, dad was right, dad was right. (laughs) And then I come down, I mean, I'm just like skid on the pavement and just like all of this is just like road rash, nasty, I would describe it, but we're in church. It was gross. And so I like go in and like bandage up and I'm like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. And dad comes home and he's like, so, looks like you weren't that careful. And I was like, well, you know, he's like, I, I, I can play, I can play, I can play like this. And he's like, I don't think so, throw me the ball. And so because it was so many bandages and so much stuff, I threw it and like all the bandages were just like, and like came off. And he was like, I don't think you're playing tonight, man. Like, it's kind of gross, there's a lot of dirt out there. It's not a good idea. And I was like, all right, so I ended up not playing and sitting out a game that I really wanted to play in uh, because I didn't listen. Because I chose to follow my own bright ideas rather than following the good word that my dad had for me. And I feel like this is, this is us. This is such a thing that we do with God. It's like he tells us, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. There's good news. Life is available. Come and follow me. Head to the margins. And we're like, I have a better idea. Let's try to hang out with Steph Curry. And it just never works out. It, we all, it's, there's a way that seems right to a man, and in the end, it leads to death. The Bible is full of sayings just about if you are not trying to follow God to where he's at, it's going to be a miserable existence for you. And here's the kicker. He'll let you try it. You think that's a good idea? Go for it. You want to tr- try living life away from me, away from my plans, doing it how you think is best? Try it. And then ask yourself, how's that working out? And this is what's so good though, is like there's just always a way back. God is never saying, well, well you tried it, you went away from me, and so now I'm not doing it. I'm done with you. No, you think about this, like we turned our backs on God and he came to rescue us. Because here's the thing about Jesus and trying to follow him in his example, is if all we could do was to say, look at Jesus, try to follow him, we would be in a world of hurt because we don't have the capability. We need God himself to live inside of us. And Jesus makes that possible, right? Ezekiel 36, 27, it says that he's going to put his spirit in us and move us to follow his commands and be careful to keep his laws. And the reason we're gonna do that is because it's good life and that's what we wanna do. And the only reason we have those desires is because Jesus took our sins was put to death for them, paid the penalty for them, was resurrected and now offers us his new life. So if you believe in Jesus, access to living with God inside of you, this is just insane. The God of the universe living inside of you, giving you the energy and power to live how you should, that's what's available to Christians. That's what's available to us. And, and God is saying, okay, now that you've got that, go to the margins go to those forgotten places, go to those forgotten people. And it's so hard because everything in us wants to fight that because it doesn't feel right. But you look at Jesus, you look at the life that he lived, the perfect life that he lived, and you're like, that's what he did. And so this morning, what I hope I've reminded you of is just this idea of like, if you want to find greatness, if you want to find meaning and satisfaction, head to the margins head to the marginal people, head to the marginal places, you take a marginal, outdated message, and you will find life. And we remember all this, all the things that Jesus has done for us, the fact that he's made this possible, that life with God is available, because that's what greatness is, it's life with God. It's available because of Jesus, and we remember that every week when we take communion. On the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he's coming. The kingdom is coming. And so this morning, if you are a believer, if you trust Jesus, I invite you to come down and you can rip off a piece of bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. We've got, uh, wine has a piece of twine marked around it. Uh, If you're not a Christian, the kingdom is coming. Do you want to be a part of it? Um, I'd invite you to stay in your seat and consider, how's life working out the way you're doing it? Might Jesus have something better for you? Might it be worth following him? Uh, And if the answer is yes, we'd love to talk to you and talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus, to know him and follow him and to experience the good life that he offers. Uh, So this morning, again, uh, if you are a believer, as you're coming forward, I'd ask you to take some time in your seat and think about where are the places that maybe God is calling you to go? Where are those marginal places? Who are the marginal people that he's calling you um, to be with? Uh, And then as you do that, we invite you to come forward and um, enjoy communion. Let's pray. Let's pray.